0: boss on the job tells the worker to do something. He doesn't do it. He never gets around to doing what he was told to do. What's going to be his reaction when he's called into account for not doing what he was told to do? What's going to be his almost immediate reaction? You've got to make excuses, right? That's what we do. Here's a parent who tells a child what to do. Gives instructions about what they're supposed to accomplish and the child never does that. And so when the parent realizes that the child hasn't obeyed, what's the child's almost immediate reaction? Make excuses, right? We learn that pretty early in life. Actually, as human beings, we are pretty good excuse makers. We learn it early and we employ that tactic often. Here's another realm. God tells us to do something. And we don't do it. What do we do when we realize that there's a spiritual instruction been put upon us, but we are not obeying? Isn't it also common for us to try to make excuses? That, of course, is the most serious area of all. We want to talk a little bit about excuse making today. And we want to study a classic example of a famous person who offered excuses. We're going to be looking, just to, to, to set the stage for our study, we're going to be looking in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you may want to turn there, and we'll look at that just briefly in a minute. Thanks for being here this morning, an absolutely gorgeous spring day in Middle Tennessee, and we are blessed to be able to come together to worship God. We're blessed by a good uh, 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 assembly of people, our own members and many visitors, we're so grateful that you've come, we're glad for the encouragement that you provide to all the rest of us. Visitors, of course, accept our invitation, please, and come back as often and as soon as you possibly can. And if you have questions, if there's anything we can help you with, uh, just let us know how we may serve you. Thanks for being here today. The the, uh, example, the biblical example of a great excuse maker that I want to consider with you just briefly here to set the stage for our study is King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you remember he had had been given the job to go with the armies of Israel and utterly destroy the people of Amalek. Now, the reason why that, that instruction was given is because God had mandated long time before that the Amalekites would be punished for the evil that they had done against the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and were traveling to the promised land. And so God had... God had ordained that, a, that an ultimate punishment would be put upon the Amalekites for what they had done years before. And King Saul was the one who was assigned that duty. Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, they went and they were victorious in the battle, uh, but they didn't utterly destroy everything. They brought back some things, some spoil from the battle. They weren't supposed to do that. And, of course, you remember they had spared the king. They brought back King Agag of the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you you utterly destroyed everything, how, how come I'm hearing these animals that you've brought back? Doesn't sound like you did what you were told to do. And of course, Saul went into immediate excuse-making mode. Look at verse 20. Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Uh, Well, he still wants to say, I did it. But the reality was he hadn't done it, and then he actually tried to pass it off on the people as being responsible for that. And you remember Samuel's famous response. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. And so there's that famous example from King Saul, uh, a a, a very uh, diligent effort to excuse his failure to obey what God had told him to do. Specifically, he had brought back not only the spoil, but he had brought back that King Agag from the Amalekites, and he was challenged for having done so. God rebuked him through the prophet Samuel and would ultimately punish him and take the kingship away from him and his descendants. Now, that's the, that's the baseline story, but we're really just using that to establish the idea we sometimes are like that. We know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. And then maybe we offer excuses for why we failed to do so. And so we want to use sort of a play on words this morning and ask the question, why are you keeping your Agag? Uh, again, obviously we're playing on that story that we just briefly described. King Saul kept King Agag when he should have put him away. Why are you keeping something in your life that God has said you should put away but you haven't done it yet. Uh, you haven't gotten rid of that thing in your life. Uh, you 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 kind of hang on to it. Why are you keeping your a gag? Well, let's consider some possible answers to that question. Is it possible that you don't know that God said you're supposed to get rid of him? Now again, you have to play. You're gonna have. To you're going to have to gauge the, the wordplay that we're doing in our study this morning. The hymn for Saul was King Agag. For us, it may be something different. Uh, uh, what, why are you keeping this thing in your life? Uh, something? Maybe it's an evil disposition. Maybe it's a sinful practice. Why are you holding on to this thing in your life that you know you should get rid of? I think a lot of people will make the excuse that they didn't know better. Uh, Maybe in ultimate judgment, some people say, well, yeah, I I did that, but I I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. They didn't know better, they said. And that actually may be literally true. I, I think there are a lot of people racing headlong toward judgment, and they don't know that some of the things they're doing in their lives are sinful, but the failure is on them, not on God. God told us in His perfect inspired word, what is right, and what is wrong. And if you don't know that you're doing something wrong, that failure is on you for not applying yourself to know the will of God. Ignorance won't work. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so if you think you may be able to go to judgment and say, well, the reason, uh, yes, I did that. But the reason I didn't get, get that out of my life is because I didn't know I was supposed to. Ignorance won't be a satisfactory excuse in the day of judgment. Why are you keeping your gag? Is it possible that you think God didn't mean what he said about it? Uh, now, the kind of people we're describing here are aware that the practice they've got in their life, the wrong practice they've got in their life. They're aware that it's a bad thing, that they should get rid of it because they've heard sermons about it. They've read articles about it. And the fellow Christians have warned them about it. They've had plenty of notice that what they're doing is wrong, but they haven't gotten rid of it yet. And maybe they think that all those warnings even found in the scripture, God didn't really mean that. Here's this fella, and he he uses tobacco. Uh, he he's as they say the old expression. He smokes like a chimney, or or maybe he uh, chews or uses snuff. Plenty of people have told him there's all kinds of dangers associated. There're physical dangers associated with that. Bad health will follow. But the scriptures also warn us against those sort of practices as well. And they know that they're absolutely they're absolutely well aware that the warnings are there, but. But their idea is that probably all those warnings are are a little over the top, Uh, that God didn't really mean it that way. There's a great Bible example uh, of God giving a warning and he meant it. We just looked briefly at Luke 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife? Don't look back. Maybe Lot's wife thought God didn't really mean that. He meant it, didn't he? And so when we have the warnings of scripture about what God expects us to do, and we don't do them, thinking that maybe God didn't mean it that seriously, remember Lot's wife. That might be a very helpful thing to call to remembrance. Is it possible you keep this thing, you keep this thing going on in your life, your gag, so to speak, is it possible that you think that you might be an exception to the rule? Alright, so, again, I know what the Bible says about that. And I'm willing to believe that God meant what he said when he warned about alcohol. My problem is alcohol, someone says. And, and, and I know what God said about it. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that he means what he said about don't consume intoxicants. But I'm thinking that I could potentially be an exception to the rule. Yeah, God probably punished some people for drinking alcohol, but He probably won't punish me because I'm not as maybe I'm not as heavily involved in that as some others. You know, I just drink moderately. Oh well, yeah, there was that time or two that I got drunk, but I, typically that's not me. I'm a I'm a moderate social drinker. This guy says, and so I think God will make an exception for me because of my moderation, maybe. Do you think that you're an exception to the rules? In the day of Jesus, the, the Pharisees apparently thought they were an exception to God's broader rules. In Matthew 23, beginning verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' a seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Here Jesus describes the Pharisees operating on a a double standard, if you will. They were trying to insist that others do things that they themselves would not do. I'll tell you, that problem has persisted through the centuries, hasn't it? And I think we still see it today. Sometimes you, you will encounter a church member who judges others for doing the very things that they are guilty of themselves Makes it sound very much like the Pharisees, right? Others need to do better. Me, I'm a potential exception to the rule. Or at least I view myself as an exception to the rule. I want you to do better. I'm not going to do better myself. You think that will work? You think that kind of an outlook will be acceptable in the end, in the day of judgment? Do you think, really, that you're an exception to the rule? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you continue to maintain this practice? Why are you keeping your gag? Do you see your a gag as being something inconsequential? The sins of other people are a big deal. My particular sin is not that big of a deal. I, I understand. I understand. I mean, I've read the Bible. You all have warned me. I understand all of that. But actually, my sin is a little thing. Now, some of the sins that other people are doing real big things. My my particular sin is not a big deal. Maybe my sin is gambling, you know. We talked just earlier about smoking and drinking alcohol. Those are big deals. My, but here's a guy who says, my thing is gambling. I like to gamble a little bit, he says. And I don't see gambling as all that big of a deal. I just don't think it's that major deal. Really? How would you know that? Our question to the guy who says, my sin is not a big deal, my gambling habit, that's not really really all that serious. Really? How would you know that? On what basis would you make that determination? In Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. If we find instruction in Scripture that condemns gambling, then it condemns gambling. Don't don't compare that to any other sin. That's a word from God. And He means what He says, and He says what He means. And you are not the one who gets to dictate, this is a big deal, this is a little deal. You're not in that position. You don't have that authority. You cannot answer for God. In Matthew chapter five, verse eighteen, Jesus said, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. <clears throat> now we understand here that he was talking about the law of Moses. But there's just a concept set forth in regards to the things that God has revealed and to those and and to those uh, for whom they those rules are applicable. Concerning that law of Moses, notice Jesus referred to the jot and the tittle as even that as being from God. We, we understand in the writing of the Hebrew alphabet that the jot and the tittle were just tiny strokes of the pen, sort of like dotting the eye, crossing the T. And Jesus said the jot and the tittle were in the Old Testament law because God intended those things to be there. Every word, every, every concept is there because God wanted it to be there in the old law and in our law as well. And so you are not the one who gets to say, well, I'm doing this, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's, it's fairly inconsequential. No, you, you're not the one who gets to say that. Why are you keeping your egg gag? Is it possible that you want to... Ha- here's an expression. Is it possible that you want to have your cake and eat it too? Now, here's what, I'm, here's what I have in mind by making that statement. I want to be considered a faithful child of God. I want to have fellowship with the Christians in the local congregation. And I certainly want to go to heaven when this life is over. But I want to hold on to this agag in my life. In other words, I want to, I I want those things. I I, I want you all to look favorably upon me. uh, and, and and I w- want to go to heaven when this life is over, but I still want to hold on to this sinful thing that I do. I'm not willing to give it up. Maybe, maybe it has to do. Maybe you young people, for instance, might be challenged in the realm of modest clothing. I, I want to be considered a faithful Christian. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I I want to go to this party. And wear this immodest dress. I want to go to the beach and wear my swimming clothes. Like, just like all the other beach goers do. You see that? So, uh, I want my cake and eat it too. Do you get the concept that we're describing there? Is that what keeps you doing this? Maybe this immodesty in your life? You keep doing it because you think you can go both, have, have it both ways? Uh, that will not work. In the text that Joseph read for us earlier in James chapter 4, James 4 verse 4 says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. That's exactly what James was saying there, isn't it? And yet I'm convinced that there's some people uh, who want it that way. I want, to, I want to have it both ways. I want to be considered faithful, but I want to keep doing what I want to do. You can't have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Is it that you think that the Lord is really to blame for what you do? In other words, the reason you haven't changed this is because actually it's not my fault. The reason I keep doing this is because that's the way God made me. So here's the homosexual fella. What do the homosexuals argue? What's one of their strong arguments? They've never proved it. Uh, I was born this way, the homosexual says. Because they've labored very hard to try to prove that scientifically. They can't prove it scientifically. But they still want to fall back on that idea. I I was made this way. I was born this way. The reason I continue in the sin of homosexuality, he says, because this is the way God made me. Really? There's no proof of that. There's no proof of that at all. But maybe to make it a little more applicable to us because uh, that, that is not a, a broad temptation for most people. Obviously, a lot of people are tempted with it, but for most of us, it, homosexuality is not the temptation. Maybe, maybe my problem is I've got a violent rage in me. I have uncontrolled anger. Uh, I am easily provoked. I fly off the handle at the least provocation. I've got a bad temper and when i and when my temper gets set set off, I do and say things that I shouldn't, but that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. That's just the way God made me. I have a bad temper, really? You think that excuse will work? You hang on to this. you keep doing this. You maintain this uncontrolled rage. Because you think it's excused? Because that is 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 somehow how God made you? That won't work. If you're hanging on to that practice, with that excuse in mind, it will not work. God did not make you that way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. How did God make you? God made you upright. And anything else, any of these other inventions, you have sought out. In other words, you've developed that bad temper. You've learned that bad disposition. And you've allowed yourself to nurture it and continue to practice it. God didn't make you that way. And you can change that, if you will. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus said, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's that tell you about little children? Little children are pure and innocent. God didn't make them evil. When you were a child, God didn't make you an evil child. Any of the bad habits you've got, you learned and you acquired, you nurtured them, you brought them along. And so don't blame God. Don't say, well, I I keep doing this over and over and over again. It is my agag. Don't excuse that by saying... But trying to point a finger at God and say, you made me this way. He did not do that. Is it possible that the reason you keep doing it is because you're convinced that God wants you to be happy. And therefore, he will allow this in your life. The reason, reason I haven't given this up, someone says, is because, I, because I, I need this to be happy in my life. And God knows that. And therefore, he will overlook it. uh, A a number of years ago, I I had a fellow who had at one time been a really powerful gospel preacher, uh, but man, he had had gone off the deep end. Uh, He left his wife, and at the time that I spoke to him, he was living with another woman. Uh, And uh, so as we talked about, his spiritual condition, this was the excuse that he offered to me. He said, Lord knows that my wife was not fulfilling her duties to me. She wasn't the person she ought to have been. God knows that. And and he wants me to be happy. And so that's why he will allow me to be with this other woman because I know that he wants me to be happy. You know, some people have, have developed a, a, a whole false view on this broader question of divorce and remarriage with this excuse god intends people to be happy you need to have a wife to be happy anybody therefore can divorce and remarry as often as they want because god wants you to be happy you really think that that excuse is going to work that you can continue in that sinful practice because you're convinced that god wants you to be happy well god does want us to be happy let's let's make that point first God certainly does want us to be happy. And actually, His law for our life is designed to ensure that we can have a happy life. Notice in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. But that goes to His plan. If I follow His plan, then that's best for me. If I violate His plan in regards to my marriage or anything else if i violate his plan then i then i've gone off course right i'm not pursuing his plan for my happiness i'm going in a, a different direction and there's no happiness insured in that different direction my happiness is only ensured if I follow the plan of God for my life. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. I think that's so important to realize. God hasn't put upon us a bunch of harsh, mean, unreasonable requirements. God's commandments are not grievous. They're not intended to make our lives unpleasant. And so, you know, the guy says, I'm going to continue in my sin because I think God will will be okay with it. He will allow it because he wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't want you to be happy in your sin. He does not. And that excuse won't work. Some excuses here. Again, we're playing on the idea of King Saul who spared Agag, who kept him and didn't destroy him as he was supposed to. He kept Agag. I think sometimes in our lives we keep things that we shouldn't be keeping. And so we're just sort of playing on that word Agag here. You have an Agag, I have an Agag. Why are you keeping your Agag? Why don't you get this thing out of your life? Because there's no excuse. Ultimately, there is no excuse that is going to make it okay for you to continue doing that. It just won't work. You can't come up with an excuse that will work. Finally, we've got one last question. What do you think that holding on to this thing is ultimately going to do for you? In the end, really, what do you think your agag will do for you? I think we can answer that question. Holding on to this thing in your life. We, we, mentioned just, we, just, we just illustrated our points with some things like alcohol, Tobacco, immodesty, a bad temper. What do you think holding on to that is going to do for you ultimately? I think we can answer that question. I think it's going to do two things for sure. One thing is that 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 you're holding on to is going to testify against you in judgment. In other words, in judgment, your agag is going to speak up, right? Your continued use of alcohol or tobacco. Your immodest dress. Your bad temper that you won't control. That's going, to, that's going to testify against you in the day of judgment. And then it's going to see that you are excluded from heaven. It's going to, be, it's going to cause you to be lost forever in eternity. You've got to get rid of Agag. You know, we've got to do what Samuel did. So Samuel's the one that confronted King Saul. Why I hear the bleeding of the sheep, the lowing of the oxen. You didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites. And, and then Saul said, well, I did keep the king. How did What did Samuel ultimately do? In chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, verse 33, Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Uh, Samuel knew the right thing to do. Get rid of Agag. And we've got to get rid of Agag too. Why are you keeping your agag? I hope all of us will be challenged to think about things in our lives that we need to improve and change. Even sinful practices that we need to get out. Think about the thing that is keeping you from being right with God and do whatever you need to do to change that in your life. Thanks for listening this morning. I hope our lesson will be an encouragement to us all to work harder and harder, to be better and better, more and more, the kind of people that God wants us to be. Thanks for listening. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, is there something in your life that needs to change? Maybe you are already a Christian, but you realize there's some things that you continue to do in your life that you shouldn't do. Get that out. Get rid of that. If you need the help and prayers of the saints, we'd be ready to pray with you and for you this morning. Let us know. If you're not yet a Christian... You need, to be, you need to make that decision to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.